I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome everybody to uh, Unashamed with Phil Robertson. We got uh, Al and Jace Robertson as well. Uh, the uh, the triumvirate, the trifecta, uh, coming to you with our Unashamed podcast. We're excited about it. Uh, this is our second bite at the apple. Uh, last time we told a little bit about our kind of what got us to this uh, to this table. We're we're coming to you from the beautiful Washtenaw River, which as we speak is getting higher and higher, Dad. Uh, it's right. Dad used to say, sometimes we live on the river and sometimes we live in the river. I'm driving through water to come to my abode. <laughs> I'm driving through backwater. And you wanted that. I wanted that. It's the only way to roll. That's right. It's a beautiful thing. You have to learn about floodwaters. You got to remember the Almighty, when it rains a lot, it floods. If it doesn't rain at all, it's a drought. So it's a bummer on both ends. <laughs> But you have to be prepared the best you can for both. So, therefore, the only thing you can do with backwater on the Washtenaw River is you better be on a higher elevation. And you're ba- barely ba- there. I'm barely there. You created an island. It's 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 close. You I say, think what- we got 1,200 acres and about 10 of them are on dry ground. And someone says 10 acres are dry and all the rest is flooded. Of all the land we own, you said they say, "Where are you?" I said, "I'm on the ten. That's dry. <laughs> That's right." I think what people miss because the water is dangerous. You know, we had to hunt in it this year. I mean, it's so. dangerous. We had life jackets on the whole time. But what people miss about a flood of this magnitude, because this is probably top five out of the last what forty years. Yep. yep. Plus, this is, is three in a row, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, which is all the critters that they're moving to high ground too. That and is so correct. when they see your house. They're like, that's a perfect place for me to set up camp. We so have we're already killed. Snakes, we've ants. already killed numerous cotton mouths, and before it's over, the water being right at our house, it's pushed all the cotton mouths into my yard and the surrounding areas. So it literally well, it is infested. It's yeah. infested with snakes. Most of them are non-poisonous. Don't worry about those. But trust me when I tell you, you are watching the ground where you are walking, the ground you're walking on, you're looking yeah. at the ground. You're not just willy-nilly running down through the in, in your yard. Well, what's crazy is the mice come up. You don't realize how many mice there are until the flood water. Well, then the snakes, you know, they go in your house. Then the snakes, they're after the mice. And then the ants come in in, in the middle of all that. and it, Everybody it, going to high ground around here. Yeah. <laughs> and all the critters with them. It makes it a dangerous uh, place. But, you know, it's uh, it's the life uh, you chose, I guess, for us, Dad, but it's the life we grew up in. And Of course, we fished um, when we were growing up. We commercial fished. And then me and Jace and Willie, uh, and I guess Jeff as well, used to, you know, fish the banks. Uh, you know, we, oh, we just, it. it was just part of our Well, this existence. high water is great for spawning fish. I mean, it, it you, we would really. Bumper crop of crawfish this time. Oh, be a yeah, lot sure. of crawfish off of this. This all goes in the Atchafalaya Basin. Those crawfish are always up. They're all the way up this high. Right. Crawfish by the, by the, all you, we just change recipes every day, but keep catching them and eating them, you know. We tried our hand there. A year or two there before me and Jace went to preaching school. That was fun uh, for two weeks <laughs> and of, of a commercial that, crawfishing. I mean, it's a tough way to think, make a living. Oh, we can make money from this. We eat crawfish every day. Yeah, when we started doing that, oh man, because not the 
the crawfish would pinch you. You were using fish for bait, so you'd get finned. And so then blood poisoning would start. Then every five traps, there would be a snake. And every five snakes would be a cottonmouth. I mean, you remember that? We pull it up. There's a cottonmouth three feet from your face. Yep. In the oh, trap. Oh, yeah. It was it was quite the uh, operation. And Jace decided that, you know, preaching school may not be a bad oh, idea. I, I, well, <laughs> look at us now, boys. We started with humble beginnings, you say. Looked up one day and we're like, by the way, uh, financially and all that, we don't have to do this, what we're doing. We're preaching the gospel here. You say, this is free. People can yeah. watch this. You say, yep. free of charge. I mean, so everybody needs to understand, you know, that we're not we're not suffering for lack of funds. God's blessed us. That's right. We're just reaching out to the people in spite of that. I've been saying for years that all the money you ever amass can't remove your sin, and right. all the fame you think you ever have can't raise you from the dead. Right. It's just about that simple. Well, I love telling the story of our humble beginnings because I personally believe it's, it's sort of like Moses. You remember Moses was 40 years old. He had been raised in the house of Pharaoh. He knew all the military training. I mean, he got the best of the best because God was reserving him for something. But then he thought it was time for him to lead. Went out, he you know, he saw one of his fellow Hebrews being mistreated. Mm -hmm. So he took it upon himself now because of his training and his background to become a leader. Problem was God wasn't ready for him to be a leader yet. Yeah. So he, he runs off down in the middle of the desert for 40 years and he lost all of his pride, all of his ego, because when God finally did call him, he's like, I, you know, Jace mentioned that last time. He was like, I don't have what it takes to be your guy. And I, I always compare that to our family. I feel like for 40 years we were on this river and we were learning humility with little. And so, therefore, one day when we'd have this show, we'd be doing podcasts and talking like we're talking now, that we went through the humility training to be ready. Yep. For when God wanted us to step out. A lot of truth in that. So I just feel like that's part of our heritage and part of our background. Oh, I thought about that. I talked about that, you know, last the last time I spoke was here's Moses who has a speech impediment, you know, and yep. God comes to him in the burning bush, which would have got my attention. Here's a bush burning that won't burn up and then it starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, that all these people saying, you know, why are y'all doing that? that? Those are the kind of things that if you can do that, I'm willing to follow you. If you can cause a bush to start burning without a match and then start speaking out of it, okay, you're you're someone I need to consider about putting my faith and trust in. Uh, if I saw but, that, I, it, trust me, it would get my attention yeah, instantaneously. <laughs> but in, in Exodus chapter 3, y'all, 11, Moses did what I've said many times in my life. He said to God, I mean, who am I? That was his phrase because that's, that's what I think. I'm just, I'm not that smart. I don't like to speak. I mean, I'm a river rat by nature. I mean, who am I to go out here and tell anybody anything? And then God famously responded to him. He, he turned what he said, who am I? and basically gave him his answer, which to me was kind of a bumper sticker moment. He said, I am who, which was the opposite of what he said, who am I? I am who I am. Yeah. And that's when it hit me, you know, at 16, when I realized, you know, after I had that prank call that I, I shared with by the, the way, last time. By we the way, together. Jace, your, 
your your little caper that you had with the principal. How about some fresh fish if you'll get me out of that class? When I had trouble with algebra in college, I just couldn't get the A over D, find, find, find C. I'm like, what, what in the world is this? So, oh, yeah, numbers so I, and letters I don't go my, together. I went to my instructor, and I said, I believe she said, you have a problem with this algebra, Mr. Robin. I said, well, we both have a problem. And she said, <laughs> we both have a problem? I said, your problem is, I said, you never married, and I said, and you probably can't remember the time you had some fresh fish. I said, I can provide you with fresh crappie dressed, <laughs> delivered to your door, ma'am. And the name Miss McConaughey, I think her name was. I said, Miss McConaughey, I can I can solve your problem by just providing you with fresh fish the entire time I'm at Louisiana Tech University. I didn't I, realize that. Yeah, I said free of charge. Mm. I said, you can help me with my problem via that. And we both can solve each other's problem. Mine with algebra, yours with no fish. I said, everybody can be happy. And she said, would you bring me some fish? I thought to myself, I'm fixing to pass this course. So in that particular instance, however, a lot of people say, well, that was cheating. It was not right. You have to remember, it really wasn't cheating. It was just a discussion. You had a problem and you solved it. We can help each other and we can solve each other's problem. And in that case, the fish worked. So, yeah, I would call that being street smart. Which there's by the different way, kinds of smart. That's pretty much the purpose of college, anyway. I mean, know. it was pretty evident I was about a C plus man at best, with who struggled with with you know exchanging letters for numbers. I just my mind just couldn't get a grip on it. So I've always thought the purpose of college education is really just to fa- figure out how to work your way through the world because oh, that's what it's it not is. necessarily the knowledge. I mean, you know, you're going to go somewhere and get trained in whatever they want you to do. So the idea was, can you negotiate this four year? And as it ended up, I'm sure she's she's passed on to the other side now. But as it ended up, although I did get the degree and all that and went into, into graduate work, uh, that was my one of my just hang-ups with algebra. But the bottom line is, after all the smoke cleared, I looked at it and I said, well, but I don't know whether I ever needed the degrees to begin with if you're going to well, catch when, fish and build yeah. duck calls. But Miss K said, oh, but you, but it helped you, though, and, and just discipline and to get the degrees oh, and agree. sit through their classes. Yeah, and I, I said, well, I, yeah, you're probably right. Well, in, in our society, but when to, to bring it to something spiritual, I mean, it's just like what I was saying about what God told Moses. It wasn't about him, and that's what I realized. I was scared. I was nervous. I, I didn't want to be bold. I didn't want to be, you know, unashamed. That's a good point. Good point. But I thought, this is not about me. And when we talk about our platforms and what we do, it's really not about us. What... I think what makes us seem smart is the same reason other people who follow Jesus seem smart. It is the smarter thing to do. You think you get forgiveness, you get eternal life. I mean, to me, just to not have a plan about life after death, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for it. That's just dumb. Which brings us to the point, and you say, well, you're not ashamed. Who are you not ashamed of? Well, if you go back from today, us sitting here, by by my my, my count, and uh, there'll be some that are that'll modify it a little bit. But if you go back seven thousand years, probably seven thousand three hundred or so, there's a prediction. This is in Genesis chapter three, early in the Bible. Mankind falls; they sin, and 
God tells Satan, our enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So he brings up this individual who's coming, who will be born of a woman that will solve mankind's problems here. He's going to crush you before it's over, Satan. That was 7,000 years ago. And he was talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. And you're like, man, the seed of a woman, someone born of a woman will save the world. He will crush the evil one. So if you look at that, you run back into it again in Isaiah 53. That's like 700 years before Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. The writer is saying this 700 years before Jesus gets there and the prediction made in Genesis. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. We're like sheep gone astray. Each of us returned to his own way. We're all sinners. He's, the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before the shears of silent. He did not open his mouth. He was taken from the earth. Who can speak of his descendants? Then he brings up his the grave where he is, the tomb. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, the rich man of Arimathea. Though he had done no violence, no sin, no deceit in his mouth, the perfect God in a human body is now being strung up and nailed up like an animal. It was God's will to crush him, cause him to suffer, makes his life a guilt offering. Uh Uh-oh, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Uh Uh-oh, he's not done yet. He's coming back. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, look at that. He will see the light of life, will live again, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great. He'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life. Remember Genesis 3, someone from a woman would crush Satan's head and Satan would strike his heel. Isaiah is talking about the agonizing death he went through. And for he bore the sin of many and made intercession finally for the transgressors. That's us. You fast forward to when Jesus got here. So for 5,300 years, God says Jesus is coming, starting with Genesis 3.15. I gave you one of the prophecies. There are hundreds, and you're going marching forward in time. 5,300 years, roughly. It's been 2019 since it happened. Here's Jesus. Finally, he's on the earth, and guess what he says? Matthew 16, verse 21, this is what we're not ashamed of. Jesus is going to make a prediction. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, just like Isaiah said, that he must be killed, just like Isaiah said 700 years early, and just like Genesis 3.15 says, He's going to do away, conquer Satan. He be, must be killed, must be, 
and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is proclaiming the gospel before he dies, like Isaiah said, is buried and raised from the dead. He, he is very specific. I will die, and in three days I will be raised to life. That's one. You, you fast forward in your Bible to Mark 10, 32. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. He's already said this. Matthew recorded it. Now he's saying it again. They will condemn him to death. They did. Turn him over to the Gentiles, the Roman Empire. They did. To be mocked, this is Matthew 20, 18 and following. He will be mocked and flogged and crucified. He was. This is him saying to everybody, this has got to happen. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Turn over a few pages to Mark 10. Jesus again is talking. We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him. This is Mark talking, not Matthew. He will, they will spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You say, what's what do all the stories, what do they all end up with? Mark, Jesus just said what he said. You turn over to the end of Mark, and amazingly, here's what you read. Uh, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus. That's Mark 15, 23, 33. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. That's Mark. They were told... Go preach this. He who believes it and is baptized be saved. You got Luke. You say, how did Luke end up his chapter? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. How'd Luke end up? Jesus' death. That's Luke 24, 44. Jesus' burial. Minute detail, every one of them. What Jesus said would happen, what Moses said in the way over there in the Third chapter of Genesis, what Isaiah had predicted and others, Jesus will die, be buried, and raised from the dead. Therefore, if you start reading through the Bible, you say the whole thing is built around Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus dies, he is buried, he is resurrected. In Acts chapter 1, he leaves. As soon as he's gone, within a couple of weeks, you look up, and here comes a big wind, and you say, what in the world is going on? In the middle of all of it, all the things, they were speaking in languages worldwide. All the Jews are gathered from all over the world. What in the world? There's a hurricane going through the place where they were. Uh, there's smoke and fire coming off the top of the apostle's head without any butane. You're like, what in the world is happening? Peter gets up in the middle of all of it, says, this man was handed over to you, Jesus, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, look at the story Peter tells. You, with the help of wicked men, he's talking to all Jews, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God has raised him from the dead. You're like, right out of his mouth, what Moses said way over there in Genesis 5,000 years earlier, 
what Isaiah had prophesied, what Matthew wrote about, Mark had written about, Luke had written about, John had written about. Now Jesus has died, buried, raised, and gone. You say, what's going to happen now? That story is being told, and look, they're going to be persecuted severely. All of them that we know of except John was killed because, and put in the ground because they were not ashamed to proclaim Jesus has died and buried and raised from the dead. Start there in the book of Acts, and every time you look up, what was the message they preached? It says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this chapter 4, whom you crucified, but God has raised from the dead. They just continually hammering on Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. You work through the book of Acts. The message never changed, never changes. Go make disciples of all nations. You baptize them. When they heard the gospel, what were they told to do? What was the message? What was the response? Now we're in the book of Romans where we were headed on what we are seated here 2,019 years from the time God becomes flesh, seed of a woman. You're like, all the prophets spoke about it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wrote extensively about it. And now the apostle Paul says to him, by the way, before you get to Romans 1.16, Romans 1.14, I've already given you the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. You say, what's the central lesson, the central message? the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. I'm obligated, verse 14, both to Greeks and non-obligated. He can't, he can't, he's, he's got to do it. We're the same way 2,000 years later. Both to the wise and foolish, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Y'all remember Rome, don't you? You go over there now, you say, what's left? rubble. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what this whole podcast is about. I've given you a brief history before it's all over. We will go back to Genesis 3.15 and bring you forward, and we will tell you more of the prophecies and more of what the men who wrote the Bible down will give you a clear path that you can follow all the way to today. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes the gospel is. First for the Jew, then for Gentile. The gospel's for everyone on planet Earth, for everybody. Remember, all nations will be blessed. All nations through you, Abraham. He's coming. He's coming to all of them. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. How to be right with God is in the story of Jesus him becoming flesh, dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead. It's by faith, that's on your part, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You can start there in the book of Romans, and you move right out of Romans to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you say, what's the opening, just about the opening line of the whole thing? This is 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? All these isms that we see, cheap substitutes that are, that are put on par with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of, world, of, uh, of, wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The Gentiles look for, for wisdom. The Jews look for uh, miracles. The gospel of Jesus is preached right in the middle of it. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, you get to about chapter 4. It's mentioned at the beginning too, but you just get in 2 Corinthians, just a run-through of this. Uh, let's see. We don't, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. Watch. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. Paul was doing it then. Isaiah was doing it in his day. Fast forward 2,000 years since Jesus got here, we're still doing it to this day. We're appealing to human beings' conscience. Do you have a sin problem? Have you ever sinned? Be honest. Uh, yeah, I've sinned. Are you going to die physically? Physical death, heart attack, cancer, car wreck. Are you going to die? Uh, yeah. Listen to this story. Well, we set forth the truth plainly. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience. And even if our gospel is veiled, uh-oh, the evil one, it's veiled to those who are perishing. How come everyone can't see this? Life and immortality, and it's free. How come million, billions, there's been several billions that have embraced it in the world. The God of this age, there's old Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. We're not ashamed to proclaim it, and we're just trying to get people to say to God, yes, you get to Galatians. What happens if you mess with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? That story. I'm astonished, verse 6, Galatians 1, that you are so quickly deserting the one who calls you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. You will be eternally condemned if you preach any other gospel but the one we preach. As we've said once, I'll say to you again, you say, why say it twice? Because people are hard-headed. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Stick to the story. All the way from Genesis, all the way through to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, book of Acts, you say, stick to the story is what the apostle Paul is saying. That's Galatians 1. You get to Ephesians, the next letter. Let's see. In him you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is Ephesians 1.11. In order that we who were the first hope in Christ, remember Jesus hadn't died, but a few short years here, written in the first century, probably 50 or 60, 20 years after Jesus left. You were also included in Christ, I wonder when, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation right off the bat in Ephesians 1. You start there and you go through all the epistles. Next letter, Philippians. Watch this. I always thank prayer, pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. That's Philippians 1 verse 5, right out of his mouth. That's 1 verse 7. 
defending and confirming the gospel. All of you sharing God's grace with me. That's two. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You're like, that's three in a row, and I haven't even came back through the third or fourth paragraph in the book. You look up from there. I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. Down below there, verse 27, still in the first chapter of Philippians, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens, stand on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just below there, contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. Well, you can't do it if you're ashamed of it. That's why we're not ashamed. We're reading. We defended the gospel, Jesus, what he did for us, the confirming of it, the partnership in it. Advance. When he wrote the advancing the gospel, what's happened to me? It really served the advance. He said, what happened to him? They threw him in prison. So the apostle Paul said, man, I'm going to start a prison ministry here. And the whole bunch of guards that's got me in prison, I'm going to get the gospel preached to them and they can be saved while I'm in here. You talk about a great way of viewing God and our mission. You say he was not ashamed, not so at all. I've worked with Timothy who served with me in the work, because it is work, of the gospel. You start there. You get to Colossians. I'm in the first paragraph. Colossians 1, you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. The gospel is producing fruit and growing ever since you heard it, the day you heard it. It's not a long, drawn-out story. Hey, you got some problems. God removed all of them. You know how? How did he do it? He sent Jesus. God in flesh never made a mistake and died for yours. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It comes from Jesus and what he did. He died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead three days later. Now, I've just given you a quick update in about 10 or 12, 15 minutes from Genesis 3.15. I like how Phil preaches the sermon says, I'm giving you a quick update. <laughs> a little update. Genesis 3.15, start there, and you're like, and you're in Colossians, and look, it's not slowing down after Colossians. Well, Read the, the Thessalonians. Point. It's the point of the Bible. It's the point you of know, the Bible. I remember uh, one of my mentors, uh, Jim McGuigan said one time, he held up the Bible, and he said, you want to learn the Bible in less than a minute? And I thought, how's he going to pull this off? And he said, Genesis to Malachi says Jesus is coming. Right where you started Genesis 3, oh, he's coming. He's coming. He said, John, uh, Matthew to John, he's here. Yeah. And Acts to the Revelation, he's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, look. I mean, it was very profound. Well, if you look at it logically, the prediction of Jesus all through the prophets to get him here, we see his life. You can investigate him, what he said. He never once said, uh, on second thought, let me clarify what I. No. But you think about oh, 41 oh. men with all different backgrounds. They had all different kinds of the livelihood. Time, Look, for four to 5,000 years. Yeah. You just they come up with the same story out. Some were scholars. Some were fishermen. You know, I mean, I mean, just all the differences that were there, which is amazing. And one of, one of the things I liked about you, you mentioned Romans 1, 
16, 17, which is kind of our, I guess if we had a theme verse for our podcast to be that <clears throat> since it were called unashamed, but the righteous will live by faith. And Jason, I've heard you speak to that before that the gospel story, I mean, it's a life changer for sure when you get it, but then the lifestyle that goes with it. I mean, the, the walk, the, the relationship, the it, it's, it's bigger than just, a story. Well, I realize when you stop and think about why are we here, you think, what is my purpose for the, for being on the planet? I mean, you know, I ask people usually if I'm in a situation where I can tell this person is not following Jesus, I'll usually say, I got three questions for you. How'd you get here? You know, what's the origin of life? I think it's a good question because you either believe God made us or you didn't. Genesis one, one is basically where it starts. Then you say, what are we supposed to be doing here? If you stop and think about it from a godly perspective, really the only thing you'll come up with is that he uses us to do just what you just showed in the entire Bible. He uses flawed, forgiven people to share the glory and knowledge of Jesus. And We're add, just doing it through faith. And, to, and, to, and to, to add a little insight to this, most people miss this. This is critical. Now, now, listen to this, Al, because Al's question was, uh, what about the lifestyle that goes with the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus? How should you live? Watch this. Ephesians 4, 17. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. We live in America, the three of us here. You say, we're looking at, at that our culture, and everybody else is looking at it. You say, so what's the first on the agenda if you're going to not be ashamed of the gospel and preach Jesus, him crucified and raised from the dead? Well, one thing's for sure. You can't live as these Gentiles do with all the immorality and the murders and all that in the futility of their thinking. Watch this. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God. They're separated from the life of God. They don't love each other. No. And they... They are going from opioids to whatever at a rate unsurpassed in America's history. They do that because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of the hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over sensuality, indulging every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. They can't get enough of it. But watch this, guys. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Here comes the lifestyle. Surely you heard of him. And we're taught in him with an accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, his death for your sin, his resurrection. You were taught with regard to your formal way of life. And Al, here's the answer to you say, what kind of lifestyle? You were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self. I remember how I was the first 28 years. It was all bad which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind as you go forward, like you were talking about, Jace. Now, here it is. To put on the new self, and here's what scares people. Created the new you once you're born again, the one that has been born again, created to be like God. That's what most human beings Miss. They say, you expect me to make an effort to be like the God, Jesus, who came down and walked as a human. We view him. All the texts walk as he did. 
be conformed to his likeness, Romans 8 says. This says create, God fixed it. So when they see us coming, you say, you better have your lifestyle in order and you better have your mouth cleaned up and your heart cleansed and be careful what you see and be careful what you participate in because we, the temple of God, the body of Christ, are the ones who are going to be like God in everything we do. Not just Sunday mornings going to a two-hour service. You say, oh, we've got to be this way 24-7 to have an impact. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, you get inside a church building, you don't have to worry about being ashamed. You're not going to be challenged on it. You're not around the world. You're with God's people. You walk out that door, Al, and you get out there in our culture, then you begin to understand, I sure can't live like this much. I have to be set apart from them and show them what Jesus was like. Therefore, and the great news is when you stumble and make a mistake, he's there to forgive you. You just get up and say, Lord, my bad. I'm confessing it to you. That was dumb on my part. That's him. He, he doesn't hold it against you. You're under grace, not law. And you just keep the battle going unashamed as you move forward. But I think that's the point is people got to have that reason. You know, Nancy Reagan infamously said, just say no to drugs. That ought to do it. But anybody out there with drug problems, they when somebody says, hey, you want to hit off this? You know, they say no. Well, then the next question is, well, why not? <laughs> and that's why, you know, Titus 2 says the grace of God teaches us to say no. Yep. That's why we share Jesus. You just read that in Ephesians 4, but, but chapter 5 in verse 2 says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us. So when he came down, went through that whole scheme of redemption that you went through, when you realize why he was, why he became a human so that he could die, yep. because God can't die. Yep. He, he proved that. He so allowed he, them to get their hands on him. Yeah, he allowed you won't that. Grab God and kill him unless he allows you to. He allowed that for when we didn't say no. Yep. And so then I love when Second Corinthians said, you know, basically paraphrasing, he said, Christianity is not yes and no, but in Christ it's always yes. Yep. He gave you the reason to say, yes, I'm going to do what's right. Yes, I'm going to love my neighbor. And through that comes the no's because of God's grace. You. You look at what he did on a cross and the blood that was shed when you read in Isaiah 53, and then you're out there in the world. You know, in high school, my buddies were like, hey, let's go smoke this, yep. you know, get drunk tonight. Yep. Well, I had a reason then to say no. And what I lacked was that courage. But what I was amazed at is the first time that I asked those guys in high school, I was in 11th grade, they was all fixed to go get drunk. They were ragging me saying, you know, what, I mean, you're, you know, you're missing out on all the fun. Oh, yeah. And so I finally bowed up and had some courage and said, well, look, if you can answer these three questions, I'll go with you. And I asked them, how'd you get on the earth? I mean, how, you know, the origin of life. What are you supposed to be doing here? And how are you leaving? And to my amazement, they were speechless. And even though they didn't change right at that moment, they left me alone from that point on because I said, I believe God made me. I'm here to represent him and show how awesome Jesus is. And I'm leaving without a spaceship through the cosmos to live forever. 
and, and all the ones that you were that were converted over that. Romans 1.16, and let's wrap it up with this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When Paul gets over at a second Timothy, speaking of the gospel, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. The last thing Jesus was uh, that you went through in your early life, he wasn't timid, that's for sure. Gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed. We're back on it again in a different place. This is 2 Timothy 1, about verse 8. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord, which is all this this podcast is about. Or ashamed of me, the Apostle Paul, his prisoner. They got me locked up down here. Don't be ashamed of me. Join with me, check this out, in suffering for the gospel. There's going to be some cursings and some vitriol and some hatred directed toward anybody who preaches the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us, which is great. He's called us to a holy life, which we mentioned, walk like he did. Not because of anything we've done, you sure can't earn it, but because of his own purpose from the beginning, Genesis 3, and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. All this worked out in advance before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, Genesis 3, someone, seed of a woman, virgin birth. The Apostle Paul goes back to that. Christ Jesus, check this out, who has destroyed death, whoa, and has brought life, whoa, while you're here, and immortality, check this out, to light through the gospel. And he brought that immortality to light. All these guys who wrote this, all the things we're reading, they scattered when he died because they thought the movement is over. Yep. And then all of a sudden, after they saw him raised from the dead, you talking about courage. The movement is just they beginning. They <laughs> preaching, hollering town to town, oh. look, until they killed them all. That's right. They said, look. If you do not stop speaking about Jesus Christ as as the Son of God, we will kill you. Why since die he, for a lie? Yeah, but since he brought immortality to light in their mind, he thought the same thing I do. I thought, why am I going to be such a coward for believing all this good stuff and live forever when the worst thing they can do is persecute me and perhaps kill me to shut me up? And then I live forever because the one I'm preaching about, he proved death can't hold him. It's a win-win deal, boys. Well, it's the uh, <clears throat> it's one of the greatest evidences uh, that it's all true to me. No doubt. Was the courage of cowardly men, and they were changed, and, and so are we. Um, well, look, the theme of today's episode, obviously, is throughout the entire Bible, uh, you see this theme of the gospel, redemption, life change, all these things that can matter, you know, for for everyday life. So, uh, we hope you've been encouraged by that. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a lot more. We're gonna t- do a deep dive into the Word of God and show you really span that time frame that Dad talked about today of those thousands of years. It's still down to the daily impact the people live in their life every day, and it's the reason we're all sitting here uh, being a part of this. So we we'll hope you'll join us next time for Unashamed with Phil Robertson. This is uh, Al and Jason. Phil signing off. Until next time.
So we're so glad you guys were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or YouTube or Facebook. And be sure and rate us on iTunes so that other people can know about the podcast.